This week's Escape Pod is brought to you by Audible.com. More details after the story. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audible.com slash escapepodsff. Escape Pod Episode 226 Today's story Pirate Solutions by Catherine Sparrow Ahoy, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, and this is not Talk Like a Pirate Day, so I'm just going to leave it at Ahoy. But we have a pirate story for you. We present Pirate Solutions by Catherine Sparrow. Miss Sparrow lives in California and is a survivor, I mean a graduate, of the Clarion West Writing Workshop. She's had a number of excellent stories published in Fantasy Magazine, Apex Digest, the Best Lesbian Romance Anthologies, and on Podcastle and Escape Pod. In fact, her Flash story, Hello, I Love You, has my favorite line ever spoken by an alien. You are beautiful and full of skin. How could we resist? This story first appeared in the very cool anthology Black Sails, Fast Ships, a book of pirate speculative fiction by Nightshade Press. And bonus, the story is read by an ensemble cast. We have Sarah Tolbert, the immensely talented spouse of our managing editor, reading the first part, Catherine Baker, production manager for the Sofa Knots podcast and podcast director for Clark's World magazine on the second, our own overworked and underthanked sound editor, Nate Perriott, reading the third, and I'm picking up the pieces at the end. So we've a full crew and the wind in our sails. Never mind maneuvers. Always go straight at story time. Pirate Solutions by Catherine Sparrow Mary Reed, 1692-1720 You could feel their heat. Not a metaphor, I don't mean that, I mean literally. The room grew warmer when they were in it. They were both so powerful. Whenever Anne and Jack, they weren't named that then, but that's who they were, strolled into the room, you got contact highs from their lust. People who would never make out would find excuses to go to the bathroom together and come back with monster hickeys. Everyone always wanted to sit near them because of their heat, because they always said the thing you wish you'd said, but only thought to say it a billion blinks later. When I first joined the Freebooter Tech Collective, Anne and Jack were happy to have another girl in the group, but otherwise they ignored me. I could stare and stare at them all day long, hiding behind my black-rimmed glasses. But then one day Anne looked at me, and then Jack looked too, and we all just sort of fell toward each other, like gravity, like magic, like there was a god. You know that feeling you have all the time that if you were just somewhere else, things would be better, more perfect, cooler? I never felt that around them. Not for a second. They were the exact center of where I wanted to be. Everything started when we were celebrating one night. It was just the three of us, since the other ten had gotten popped at an anti-war direct action. We had just gotten over the flu, so we stayed home and programmed like fiends. We worked for like twenty hours straight and then finally quit and just didn't want to think anymore. 
We made a fancy dinner in the crumbly kitchen, and Jack found this ancient bottle of rum in an old wooden box in the back of a closet. We always found crazy stuff in our squad, like control-top pantyhose with mice living inside, or huge cracked jars of mentholatum. The rum was a score. It was corked and dusty. The insides looked dark and thick as molasses. Jack opened it and took a swig without even smelling it. He kissed Anne. Anne kissed me, with sugar-coated lips and a toffee, leather, burnt cream taste. I'm not usually gonzo for liquor, but I wanted more. Jack popped in some beats from an old ska cassette that had a pounding drum line. We passed the bottle around and around, and a new kind of drunk rose up in me. Like swallowing light bulbs and glowing from the inside. Like being full of helium and wanting to jump all over the place. I bounced up and down a hundred times a minute as the rum snaked down my throat. More? Yeah. By the bottom of the bottle, Jack swayed from side to side like he was on a boat. Anne waved her arms around like she was in a knife fight, and I bounced up and down a thousand times a minute. There's something in the bottom, Anne said, looking down the bottle like a spyglass. Something gray, looks like a bone. Or a piece of wood. Drink the worm, Jack yelled as he began to play air drums. Anne tipped the bottle toward the ceiling and drank it all. She stuck out her tongue black with rum. Nestled in the middle of it lay something shriveled. She bit down on it, then kissed Jack. Jack kissed me and pushed his tongue into my mouth. Shards of dust and death coated my tongue and teeth. We swallowed. We choked and gasped for air. I felt the hemp and halter tighten around my neck and squeeze the life from me. I felt the fever death of childbirth. I raged against the shortness of life and damn the church and England. Damn the lords and ladies and everything but brine is swine. I screamed as I died and then rose up from the murky tangle of seaweed and bulb kelp. I breathed in fresh air and stared astonished at Jack and Anne. My Jack. My Anne. We saw who we truly were. The sweetest hope, the laughter and dancing and... The next morning we downloaded nautical maps, made lists of what we needed to take, and argued over what kind of ship we wanted. When the rest of the collective came home from jail, we told them where we were going, pointed to the little wisp of an island that almost disappeared at high tide, and curled around like a question mark in the aqua waters of the Caribbean Sea. Ila Doro. It's not marked. It's not named. Yes, but that's her name, Jack whispered. What are a bunch of programmers going to be on an island? You'll see. We didn't expect the rest of the collective to come, but after we told them our plan, they were all in. We packed up our servers, boxes, solar panels, and a zillion cables and monitors. We tied them on top of our school bus. We dumpstered hundreds of oak pallets and tore them apart for good wood and loaded up the back of the bus. We threw away our cell phones, watches, and radios. We drove east and south toward Florida. The bus didn't break down. Cops didn't harass us. We only got lost a couple of times. Fate, or her little sister Luck, rode with us all the way to Pensacola Bay. We found our sloop in Brown's Marina. Some millionaire had been restoring an old ship before he hung himself off a boom after losing his fortune. We bought her cheap and renamed her Rackham's Revenge. She wasn't much to look at, 
rotten Jacob's ladder, softened wood poop, mold all over the lower decks. But the forecastle and abaft masts rose straight and proud. On the crow's nest, you could see her lines and wooding were planked true, and she was wide enough to carry our crew and cargo. It took all thirteen of our collective a month of patching wood, weatherproofing, and tying knots as big as fists before she was seaworthy. Just before we set sail, Anne and I swung out in harnesses toward the mermaid figurehead on the prow. We pried the old lady off and nailed on our new ambassador, a fey-looking man with golden horns, bare chest, and blue knickers that did little to conceal his small, proud erection. Jack stared at him and blushed, which made the likeness all the more apparent. We set sail with oakum and tarred hands, and cheered as the wind picked up and blew us southeast. We navigated via sextant and compass, and learned the details of sailing as we went. We earned our sea legs one mistake at a time. The sun rose, the moon set, and rain fell as waves slapped against our gunwales in choppy water. Every day was talk like a pirate day, at first as a joke, and then because we loved it. Everyone got new pirate names, except Anne, Jack, and I, who'd already found ours. On sunny days, we talked about our mission all day long as we lay on the deck and embroidered handmade patches onto our coats. We unfurled rubbery solar panels over the deck as soon as Anne and Malfunction hacked together a satellite feed and got us online. We programmed lazily, exploring our options and data modeling. It took us three weeks to get there. Three weeks of water and feeling like all the land in all the world might have disappeared. All hands ho and turn it to starboard, Scurve shouted from the crow. We watched our island grow larger as a steady nor'eastern blew us in. Lower the iron lady and load up the jolly boat, Anne yelled. We left two men on board. The rest of us rowed to Ila Doro, who sat like a mirage in the water just like I'd seen when I drank the rum. My hand trailed through the water as I leaned over the forebow. Yellow fish with swirly tails and translucent jellyfish with visible organs swam below. I jumped into the water as soon as we neared the shore and swam with dolphin kicks and butterfly strokes. I flopped onto the sand and stared up at the bluest sky. The others reached shore. We ran up to the palm trees on the hill, and breathing hard we sprinted across the flat rocks that led to the hills of the northern point of the island. There, Jack cried, and ran faster. There, beneath the red rock and the white stone, Anne yelled. We dug with shovels and pickaxes. We sweated and sang and didn't lose hope even when we reached five feet down and there was nothing. Ten feet down and the ground started crumbling inward. Water rose up from below and then we heard a thunk. With ropes and pulleys we hauled up a rusted metal trunk. Anne twisted the handle just so, pressed three metal ingots inlaid into the top and kicked at the lock. It popped open. Treasure. Beautiful treasure for us and us alone. It had lain here all these centuries, untouched and perfect. I counted the glowing bottles of rum with an anxious lust. The collective looked to us for permission. Anne, Jack, and I nodded our heads. The boys uncorked the first bottle and drank. I watched with envy. When it was my turn, I drank the bone rum as if it was the only liquid that could quench my thirst. Jack collected the empty bottles wrote short messages inside, and chucked them into the sea. Anne Bonnet, 1690-1723 to 
History cuts the rope between then and now, telling us it was all so different we couldn't possibly understand. They take away our stories to make us weak and forget that we have always been fighting. With the rum came memory. Imagine the moment of mutiny when the captain has just gone apeshit one too many times and maybe he's about to kill someone you like. Maybe a kid he press-ganged and men spontaneously rise up and take the boat. Of the beautiful things in this world, that's one of them. We are much luckier than the original pirates. We were able to stock up on vitamin C, potable water, food supplies. Jack, Mary and I insisted on it. The others didn't understand, not really until they drank the rum and remembered the hard times, the scurvy, the rat plagues, and the dying a little every day because there was never enough sleep or water or food. It is a strange thing to discover one's destiny, or to be press-ganged into it, as the case may be. Our old Anok friends needed us, and so we came to the island. We're here to find pirate solutions for pirate problems, Jack liked to say, and that was as good as a description as any. We tamed the red-hooded crows and used them to watch for incoming boats. We swam down to the Trans-Caribbean cable and spliced it into forge a wicked OC-384 connection. We perfected our hardtack. We programmed bits and pieces of software, creating action and reaction as solid as our anchor chain. We cooked whatever we caught, even squid the size of Tetra. There was never enough time in the day to get it all done. I could code for twelve hours and only get a little closer to our goal. Like swimming against the current, our progress, despite our best efforts, was slow. One day I sat near the fire and played with the sand, running it through my fingers. I watched the water. My head was full of code and the fear that I'd never get it all right. A stray coma can ruin everything. Mary sat beside me. Her short hair had grown longer. It made her look girlier, but she still had her edge. She still wore that, I'm shy, but really, I'm a predator look that made me want to devour her. Jack stood talking to the twins, Cannonball and Cutlass, but kept glancing over at us with yearning eyes. I stared back until he blushed and looked away. I know what you're thinking, Jack, I thought. He's as easy to read as an open, dirty picture book. Dread sauntered across the beach and crouched over the treasure chest. His long rope snake hair trailed down his back. He popped open a bottle of rum. The rest of the collective suddenly showed up. We all pretended not to be lusting after it, not obsessed with who would get the bone. We all lied. Syrup passed around a platter of small charred fish. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Waves lapped at the sand, each one a little closer than the last as the tide came in. It reminded me of recursive loops and the way things done repeatedly. A little different each time changed the world. Red grabbed his guitar and plucked out a tune that thrummed like a discordant mashup. He chewed the ends of his red beard as he played. I drank rum and passed it on. Madwell got the bone and chewed slowly with a faraway look to him. Rum distorts reality, but the bone twists your soul into a different shape entirely. We opened up another bottle. 
Scurve made rolly cigarettes from pipe tobacco, and the air filled with the smell of smoke and salt water. Jack played his bongos and began singing, no words, just ululating sound. Malfunction harmonized and sang about water, ocean, and freedom to do the impossible. It wasn't good music, but it was owl music. Rum, like the sea's milk, filled my throat. I stood and swayed as the tempo picked up. All the code, all the hacking problems fell away as I slowly spun around the blazing red tongues of fire. I picked up the speed and began to dervish like an unstoppable, destructive virus. Others rose, and we became the rage of everyone murdered too young to have made a difference. We flung curses and hope up and out into the world. The song grew louder. We jumped into the air like gravity might fail, and then pounded our legs into the sand. Cannonball-faced scurve. Their sunburned faces glowed in the firelight. They matched their movements into large competitive gestures and then fell onto each other and rolled away from the firelight, making loud, gasping animal noises. Mary ran at the fire and jumped over it, playing with skin, cloth, and safety. She landed on the other side and flung over her long sleeves into the flames. When they caught fire... She swung them around in circles and turned and ran like a phoenix, shrieking with laughter, into the sea. I followed her, watching as the water extinguished the flames. Mary turned and stared at me with an inner fire. She laughed as I dove into the water and emerged beside her. Jack stumbled in behind us, pausing for a moment as he watched us tear our clothes off. Then the liquid embrace took all of us and rocked waves over our flailing, twisting forms. My lovers whispered to me with every touch that all this folly was my destiny. I woke up the next morning dry-mouthed and fuzzy on the beach. Others lay naked and scattered like seaweed across the sand. A bird screamed overhead. One of our crows swooped down on ebony wings. Croc! She yelled. I shielded my eyes and stared at the horizon. A boat tacked hard and moving fast stirred the waters of the world's edge. She was a kind of ship that didn't exist in this day and age, just like our ship. She's coming here. She's coming home, I thought. Things are going to get really interesting, or I'll eat the bottle with the bone. Jack Rackham 1691-1720 The ship, like an itch, like a void, rode tortoise all morning. Look away, touch wood and spit. Asked the kraken for a reprieve, but still she grew larger. She sailed three times and more the size of our revenge. Black sails like the fear of night whipped through the air. Golden Chinese characters stood scrawled upon her starboard. I wanted her. I wanted our crew to stand on her bow and let the wind run ragged. I wanted that ship like I'd never wanted anything in my life. An arm snaked around my waist and pulled me backwards. Anne whispered in my ear. It's an old ship, Jack, like ours. Think for a moment, okay? I turned to her and winked gallantly. Have you been in the rum already? Anne asked. Maybe. Lay off until we meet them, okay? I nodded. Her words reeled in me. Pirate thoughts were seductive, and once I started thinking with them, like a song or a rhythm, it was hard to think any other way. Sure, I said, sorry. 
Anne punched my arm with a force enough to raise a welt. She wandered off towards Mary, who watched the horizon with a lovely frown. We waited until we knew she headed straight for us. It was not perhaps some themed cruise ship or a fisherman's boat. We rode out to Rackham's Revenge. If this storm on the water wished for battle, it would be at sea or nowhere else. Perhaps they were friends, not foe. I buttoned a calico coat over my striped undershirt as I took the helm. I swayed with the sea swells and inhaled the sweaty musk of sea wind. Raise the sails, aft and fore! The words fell like paper from my mouth like old words written by dead men. We sailed like an arrow aimed at her port side. Another bout of ship lust rippled through me, but this time I tamped it down like tobacco in a pipe. I mellowed it to a slow burn. Tighten the sails, I ordered. The distance between us narrowed. A figure rose and stood broad-legged on the ship bow. A billowing red silk coat whipped about him. He pointed at me. A mighty voice rose from the shrouded ship, using a powerful bullhorn. We come to join you, a voice said with a heavy accent, and then repeated the words in Chinese. They're here for our treasure, I yelled. Oh, maybe not, another me added. I raised my bottle, but then remembered I had promised not to drink. Suddenly, the wind fell from our sails and we lay dead in the water. No, I yelled. Damn the skies! But it was not the winds of fate who failed me, but our crew who lowered the sails and readied the jolly boat. I glared at the yellow bellies, but before I could order them back, Anne looked at me with eyes to wither my turnips. Relax, she hissed. Mellow out. Anne, Mary, Dredd, and I rode to them. Bits of white foam hit my face. Their small boat measured twice the size of ours. If I couldn't take their entire ship, perhaps I could steal their jolly. Stop, I told myself. But the inner pirate looked through my eyes with a stubborn lust. Our crew threw ropes across the water, and we drew our boats together. The red captain stepped forward and straddled both boats. I stared at her t-shirt. Sure, I was mistaken. But no, the captain of this magnificent ship was a woman? I sighed. So what? No big deal, I told myself. She bore a shaved head with a scar that wound around her skull. Captain Jack, I muttered and managed to half bow. Captain Ching, she said and nodded her head. Captain Schmapton, Anne said. Do you like some tea? Captain Ching asked in careful English. I was prepared for fisticuffs or swordplay, but tea? Ah, uh, sure. She took a glass flask from the folds of her coat and passed it to me. It was tar black and smelled like wood chips. As I swung it to my mouth, I heard the clink of something within. Then the liquid touched my lips, and a demonic desire flushed through me. The tea was mixed with bone rum. Ah, oh, I said, and unmanned by this strange change of circumstance. Anne grabbed the bottle and drank and passed it to the others. We sailed back to the Isle de Oro and followed the Chinese woman as they ran to where they pried a boulder from a hill and found their own hidden cache of bone rum. They told us the story of how their collective, the Wuko, had found a, an old bottle on the beach with a message inside. A message I myself had written. A day later, they discovered a bottle of rum in Ching's government apartment. When they drank it, they left behind their work of creating autonomous cyberspaces inside the great firewall of China and sailed here, much as we had done. They all wore cropped hair and glasses of a style most geekishly becoming. We stood around like sly dogfish wanting to play with each other. Then Madwell showed one girl the software he was working on. She pushed him aside, pointed at a line of code, and corrected it. 
All awkwardness fell away like foam on the surf. We gathered around monitors and spoke the true language we had in common. It cleaved my heart to the tenderest cut to see such ease and solidarity. The next day another ship appeared on the horizon, and another. Ships flowed towards us like migrating oaks, bringing flocks of geeks from across the world. The marauders, the corsairs, the buccaneers, the infidels, the pierres nobles, and dozens more sailed in. Each had received my message, each found their own cache of bone rum upon the island, and brought with them the necessary skills we needed for our mission. The Germans were big bratwurst-bellied men who'd welded together shipping crates to make their ship. The French were thin cross-dressers who'd never held down jobs and brought huge rounds of stinky cheeses with them. The Cubans were fierce and rode in on houseboats. The Indians brought a treasury of spices. All of them understood, without quarrel or bickering, why they had been called to Isla de Oro. The rum was nothing in comparison to the real treasure we would steal. Every night the captains joined me in gathering up empty rum bottles, stuffing notes inside and throwing them out to sea. Our message was simple. Join us. Ships kept coming. They lay moored and silhouetted against the setting sun. I stared at them as I sat with another man's sad memories lodged within me. There'd been battles fought and lost, sunken boats and a life too much too short and violent. I settled my gaze on the horizon and wondered if this present story would also end with keel halls and hangings. Sam Flowers, Present Day Falling like flying, air like freedom, splash. Hard water turned warm as it wrapped around me. I sank and then surprised myself by thrashing upward, desperate for life. My head broke through into air. I treaded water and watched the thousand-leg cruise ship churn away from me. What a shocker. I even suck at suicide. Ah, hell. Oh, shit. I should have stayed on that boat. I should have taken pills instead. I floated in the salty water and stared up at the big fat stars. Why am I here? Why is it all so empty? Bull kelp rose like a submerged sea raft beneath me. It carried me along in a sea current like a magic carpet full of sand flies. The night passed and the sun rose and burned me. My life played before me like a plotless French movie. No girlfriend. Boring office job, stringy hair. You meant nothing. You were worthless. Is that you, God? Because you sound kind of mean. You sound just like I expected. I gulped down salt water and cried. I picked sea leeches off my balls and stared at them. Dolphins came by and poked me with their stubby heads. They made stupid dolphin sounds as they took bull kelp into their mouths and swam. I'm not one of those dolphin lovers, I told them. They swam on with their secret dolphin schemes. My head turned into a rotten watermelon. My arms swelled like kielbasas. My nipples were ripe cherries. When do I get to die? Ah-ah, said the dolphins. I drank sea martinis and chatted with all the girls I'd never kissed. They had big breasts like flesh marshmallows. They were covered in glittery fish scales. When did all the girls become mermaids? The mermaids became pirates who rose up around me. They wore sea-gray clothes and grayer skin. They glared at me with watery gray eyes. Captain Calico Jack, one said and tipped his barnacled hat toward me. Ark, he added. Fuck off, I said. Anne Bonnie, 
another said. She spat flotsam at me. Mary Reed! This one pointed a pistol at me and fired salt water. Scarf! Madwell! Dread! Thirteen in all, they spoke to me like they were real. I laughed at them and tried to drown. Wake him up! He needs to drink water! You think you found a bottle? No. We should throw him back in the water, maybe. Are you talking about me? I feel like shit. Heaven sucks. I spoke through a cottony mouth. Palm trays swayed above me. He speaks. Hello. A woman my age stood over me and nudged me with her knee. Ugh, I'm still alive, aren't I? Yep, I'm Anne. She's Mary. Another one stood beside her. They were tanned like popular girls who'd lain out all summer. They had legs and seemed happy. I disliked them. I jumped from a cruise ship. Dolphins took me here. I wish they hadn't. Wish I'd drowned. Fascinating, Mary said. Is he up? A thin man came up and put his arms around both girls. I hated him instantly. Hi, I'm Jack. Fascinating, I said and sat up. A bottle lay near me. I grabbed it and drank. That's not, Jack said. Rum burned my throat. I looked at them and saw gray-blue pirates. The image flickered away. Freebooting lunatics, I muttered, then wondered what freebooting meant. Anne brought me a water bottle, and I drank, but wouldn't let them take the rum. I stumbled to my feet with a bottle in each hand and saw hundreds of computer geeks hunched over computers wrapped in clear plastic casings. Each geek was either too thin or fat and had an obvious disregard toward basic hygiene. Cables lay bundled and interconnected across the sand. Christ, I'm marooned with nerds? Thanks, God. I glared upward. Mary, Anne, and Jack headed toward empty monitors and keyboards. Steady as she goes, mates, a man in a pink shirt yelled. Keep true, tack hard, apt get install chaos, then mutiny, then freedom, keep true. Activate the mock autonomous network. Activated. Employ the water diversion. Launch vegan. People typed furiously. You all suck brine, I said, angered by how vibrant they all seemed. I raised the bottle. I needed water, but it was the wrong hand, and I took another swig of rum. I swayed and almost fell onto the wooden planks of a ship deck seesawing back and forth. What? I looked around and saw a pirate ship with a billowing Jolly Roger whipping off the ship's mast overhead. Around me a salty crew scrambled to stay upright as the ship tilted toward a huge wave. Six men put all their weight behind a cannon and pushed it to the ship's edge. They kicked wooden wedges behind the wheels and then ran to the next cannon. A captain held a spyglass and stood with one foot on a wooden box, staring forward. As he lowered it, I saw it was Jack. I ran to him. I don't understand. He snarled and thrust the spyglass into his pocket. He grabbed the helm and spun the wheel hard to the right. I looked across the water and saw ships flying St. George's Cross. England? We're fighting England? Jack raised his weathered rifle. He fired toward the ships. He turned and said, A sea battle is a hard death, child. Make your peace. Ready yourself for the end. We swooped down into another stomach-wrenching wave. 
To our left, I spied another ship. She flew a ragged red flag. To our right lay another. Maybe this is death. Maybe this is me dying. I hoped, and then hoped it wasn't. With the next wave, I fell down hard onto the ship's splintery deck. Except I didn't. My knees had hot sand. I'm hallucinating, I said. I'm probably dying. No one even looked up from the computers. I stood and wandered among them as a sound like a thousand crabs scuttling over the sand ebbed and flowed as they typed away. A woman yelled, The autonomous network churns trouble up from the deep! Does she slow? Does she bow under the weight? She does, but slowly. We wait. We must wait to slip in the bold and slithy kraken. Hold steady. Yar, ye swashbuckling assholes, I said. The rum was making me talk funny. I tried to drink some water, but I got rum again by accident. Yelling rose all around me, and I stood on the pirate ship again. A massive English galleon sailed toward us. We were a rowboat in comparison. We were mosquitoes. Other galleons followed the ships to our left and right as they sped away. Black cannon nubs pushed out from the lower decks of the English ship. A cannon boom hit the air, followed quickly by two more. Our ship rocked backwards. Clouds of smoke billowed up from below. One man laid limp and screaming on deck with stumps where his legs should be. Another man caught fire and jumped overboard. Jack scowled and raised his rifle. He shot once more toward the galleon. Boom! Wood sprayed up from the decks below. Boom! A cannonball lodged into our mast. A groaning wooden scream filled the air. Boom! Three more men dead. Our ship began to sink. Men staggered forward and lit one of our two cannons. A black mass zoomed toward the galleon. A hit! Then another! Yet still we sank. Still the galleon fired upon us without mercy. I ran to Jack. What can I do? Nothing. Because I stood on a beach, delusional and disoriented. I'm dying! I yelled. I raised the correct bottle this time and drank water. A man swearing in Italian stormed toward the sea and threw his laptop into it. He yelled and cursed. Cloak the feed! Fire at will! a woman said, her head looking up from her monitor for a moment before hunching over again. She's slowing down. She's crippled. Hold steady. Wait until she's three-quarters gone. More rum found its way to my lips. I would have sworn my hand never raised the bottle, even as the rum slid down my throat. A wave crested the edge of the pirate ship and hit me. It pushed me off the deck and into the ocean. Among the waves were dozens of men yelling and drowning. Boom! A cannonball punched another hole into our ship. Boom! Our mast tottered over. The galleon turned and left us to our watery death. Someone clutched my arm. It was just a kid, barely even a teenager. A wave crashed into us. When I resurfaced, he was gone. With the next wave, I didn't come up, but breathed salt water into my lungs. My chest convulsed, struggling to get air. There was none. I sank down into water that grew darker with every yard. I hit bottom and died. Finally, I thought, as the last of me floated away. Finally, it's over. But no. I fell forward onto the deck of a different pirate ship. 
A female captain stood along the ship's edge and watched sinking ships in the distance as we sped off, unseen. Tears ran down her face. We sailed around the edge of an island until we were out of sight, and she strode toward a huge trunk sitting on deck. She knelt and opened it. I walked forward and saw dozens of scrolls piled up inside. The ship circled the island. On the far side of it, we turned into an inlet full of pirate ships. We sailed into the bay to the sound of yelling and clapping. I awoke to water streaming over my face. I opened my mouth and drank. When I'd had enough, I pushed the flask aside. Mary helped me upright. She smiled, and I saw her pirate, like a glowing ember, lodged within her. Beside her stood Anne and Jack, tired but unscathed. Behind them, computers lay tangled on the beach. I heard the sound of music and celebration coming from behind the palm trees. What happened? I asked. A battle! We shut down the internet for a couple of hours via a dummy network. Freaked everyone out, Mary grinned. Hell of a diversion. Before it fell, we hacked into some Cayman accounts, diverted funds, and then destroyed all records and backups. That was the hardest part, but the Moroccans and Chinese cracked it. We stole some islands, Anne said. What? Seventy-four uninhabited islands, Jack grinned. That's what our old friends wanted. That's what we want, too. A home. More ships will be coming to join us. It will take them a while to figure out what we did. By then, we might even be ready for them, Mary said. I saw a sea battle. Jack nodded. Twas fearsome and bloody. Would you like a drink? He held up an almost empty bottle of rum. I wasn't thirsty anymore, but I took the bottle and drank. A piece of bone slid into my mouth. I hesitated, and then bit into it. Ropes squeezed my neck as the landed lords looked on and applauded. I cursed them all with my last breath. Then the noose loosened, and I was reborn. And that was our story. There's a lot that I like about this piece. It's the optimism on so many fronts that I dig. You've got the romanticized software culture. You've got the freegan collectivism. You've got the realistic positive polyamory. But what I really like is that, just like the old pirate stories or ghost stories, it keeps its mystery to itself. It's never stated what agency is behind that bone rum. Yeah, this could be magical realism, not SF at all. Or maybe not. Maybe there's a targeted hallucinogen in that rum. Maybe the bone is some sort of subliminal feedback device that augments the drug and feeds memories to an overstimulated amygdala. Maybe there's a sequel, and someday we'll find out who planted the rum and who wants all these hackers in one place. Or maybe Catherine Sparrow's just screwing with us. But it got me wondering. It got me excited. And that gives it a great big checkmark in my mental logbook. And once again, we're sponsored this week by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider for spoken word audio. With over 40,000 titles, they've got something that'll float your boat. Sticking with the theme, I'm going to recommend Master and Commander by Patrick O'Brien. Yes, I have been reading this series. I'm currently on book 19. These were recommended to me because I'm a science fiction reader. And at first I was thinking, yeah, Napoleonic naval fiction. Really? But I have to tell you, it works. 
The odd couple friendship between Captain Jack Aubrey and the surgeon-slash-scientist-slash-spy, Stephen Maturin, is the centerpiece of the series. But around that, you have action and romance and discovery and humor and just the right amount of detail to make you feel like you're there. And that trick, that evocation of a different world, is the same thing you get in good science fiction. You should check these out. They're a lot of fun. And you can get the first book as your free download, or just about anything else, if you go to audible.com slash escapepodsff and sign up for Audible's 30-day trial. Even if you cancel the trial, you can keep the book. But you might just like it enough and want to stick around for the next 19. Once again, that's audible.com slash escapepodsff. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Ye can hoist our flag in every sea, but don't ye be tampering with our vessel, nor taking no booty for us. Or else we'll have to make a call. And I'm gonna leave it there. But do set your sights on our sister ships, Podcastle for Fantasy and Pseudopod for Horror, both at their .org, um, births. Yeah, I'm done. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from questionable sources, but as best as I can trace it, it was probably first spoken by the British philosopher Sir Bernard Williams. If so, then he said, quote, The average man will bristle if you say his father was dishonest, but he will brag a little if he discovers that his great-grandfather was a pirate. We'll see you next week. Until then, have fun. Ye mateys.